0: Section fifty nine of Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Watson. The World's Story, Volume Seven Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section fifty nine The Siege of Leiden. 1574 by John Lothrop Motley This city was one of the most beautiful in the Netherlands. Placed in the midst of broad, fruitful pastures, which had been reclaimed by the hand of industry from the bottom of the sea, it was fringed with smiling villages, blooming gardens, fruitful orchards. The ancient and at last decrepit Rhine, flowing languidly towards its sandy deathbed, had been multiplied into innumerable artificial currents, by which the city was completely interlaced. These watery streets were shaded by lime-trees, poplars, and willows, and crossed by one hundred and forty-five bridges, mostly of hammered stone. The houses were elegant, the squares and streets spacious, airy, and clean, the churches and public edifices imposing, while the whole aspect of the place suggested thrift, industry, and comfort upon an artificial elevation in the centre of the city rose a ruined tower of unknown antiquity by some it was considered to be of roman origin while others preferred to regard it as a work of the anglo-saxon hengist raised to commemorate his conquest of england surrounded by fruit trees and overgrown in the centre with oaks it afforded from its mouldering battlements a charming prospect over a wide expanse of level country with the spires of neighboring cities rising in every direction. It was from this commanding height, during the long and terrible summer days which were approaching, that many an eye was to be strained anxiously seaward, watching if yet the ocean had begun to roll over the land. In 1574, the Spaniards, under Don Francis Valdez, besieged, Leiden and built so many redoubts around the city that there was no hope of succor coming to it by land. Food was already becoming scarce when Philip offered to pardon his erring subjects if they would give up their religion and return to the Roman Catholic Church. Half starving as they were, they refused. William of Orange held the fortress of Poldermart. Between him and the besieged city... A precarious communication was kept up by carrier pigeons and venturesome messengers called jumpers. The Netherlanders were weak on land, but on the sea they were irresistible, and William believed that the only way to save the city was to break down the dikes, open the sluice gates, and allow the ocean to roll over the country. Then their fleet could sail over the submerged land and bring relief to the famishing city. The Hollanders agreed better a drowned land than a lost land they cried money plate and jewelry poured in that the work might progress the dikes were pierced and the waters poured over the country admiral boyset with eight hundred sea beggars as the rebel sailors were called set out boldly on the new ocean to carry food to leyden but when almost within sight of the city the boats ran aground Eighteen inches of water were needed to float them, and there was no chance of getting it unless the wind should shift to the west and roll the ocean in through the gaps in the dikes. Meantime, the besieged city was at its last gasp. The burghers had been in a state of uncertainty for many days, being aware that the fleet had set forth for their relief, but knowing full well the thousand obstacles which it had to surmount. They had guessed its progress by the illumination from the blazing villages, they had heard its salvos of artillery on its arrival at North A, but since then all had been dark and mournful again, hope and fear and sickening alternation, distracting every breast. They knew that the wind was unfavorable, and at the dawn of each day every eye was turned wistfully to the veins of the steeples so long as the easterly breeze prevailed they felt as they anxiously stood on towers and housetops that they must look in vain for the welcome ocean yet while thus patiently waiting they were literally starving for even the misery endured at haarlem had not reached that depth and intensity of agony to which leyden was now reduced bread malt-cake horse-flesh had entirely disappeared dogs cats rats and other vermin were esteemed luxuries. A small number of cows, kept as long as possible for their milk, still remained, but a few were killed from day to day and distributed in minute proportions, hardly sufficient to support life among the famishing population. Starving wretches swarmed daily around the shambles where these cattle were slaughtered, contending for any morsel which might fall, and lapping eagerly the blood as it ran along the pavement, while the hides, chopped and boiled, were greedily devoured. Women and children all day long were seen searching gutters and dunghills for morsels of food, which they disputed fiercely with the famishing dogs. The green leaves were stripped from the trees, every living herb was converted into human food, but these expedients could not avert starvation. The daily mortality was frightful. Infants starved to death on the maternal breasts, which famine had parched and withered. Mothers dropped dead in the streets, with their dead children in their arms. In many a house the watchmen, in their rounds, found a whole family of corpses, father, mother, and children, side by side, for a disorder called the plague, naturally engendered of hardship and famine, now came, as if in kindness, to abridge the agony of the people. The pestilence stalked at noonday through the city, and the doomed inhabitants fell like grass beneath its scythe from six thousand to eight thousand human beings sank before this scourge alone yet the people resolutely held out women and men mutually encouraging each other to resist the entrance of the foreign foe an evil more horrible than pest or famine the missives from valdez who saw more vividly than the besieged could do the uncertainty of his own position now poured daily into the city the enemy becoming more prodigal of his vows, as he felt that the ocean might yet save the victims from his grasp. The inhabitants, in their ignorance, had gradually abandoned their hopes of relief, but they spurned the summons to surrender. Leyden was sublime in its despair. A few murmurs were, however, occasionally heard at the steadfastness of the magistrates, and a dead body was placed at the door of the Burgenmaster as a silent witness against his inflexibility. A party of the more faint-hearted even assailed the heroic Adrian von de Werff with threats and reproaches as he passed through the streets. A crowd had gathered around him as he reached a triangular place in the center of the town, into which many of the principal streets emptied themselves, and upon one side of which stood the Church of St. Pancras, with its high brick tower surmounted by two pointed turrets, and with two ancient lime trees at its entrance there stood the burgomaster a tall haggard imposing figure with dark visage and a tranquil but commanding eye he waved his broad-leaved felt hat for silence and then exclaimed in language which has been almost literally preserved what would ye my friends why do ye murmur that we do not break our vows and surrender the city to the spaniards a fate more horrible than the agony which she now endures. I tell you I have made an oath to hold the city, and may God give me strength to keep my oath. I can die but once, whether by your hands, the enemies, or by the hand of God. My own fate is indifferent to me, not so that of the city entrusted to my care. I know that we shall starve if not soon relieved, but starvation is preferable to the dishonored death which is the only alternative your menaces move me not my life is at your disposal here is my sword plunge it into my breast and divide my flesh among you take my body to appease your hunger but expect no surrender so long as i remain alive the words of the stout bergenmaster inspired a new courage in the hearts of those who heard him and a shout of applause and defiance arose from the famishing but enthusiastic crowd they left the place after exchanging new vows of fidelity with their magistrate and again ascended tower and battlement to watch for the coming fleet from the ramparts they hurled renewed defiance to the enemy ye call us rat-eaters and dog-eaters they cried and it is true so long then as ye hear dog bark or cat mew within the walls ye may know that the city holds out and when all has perished but ourselves be sure that we will each devour our left arm, retaining our right to defend our women, our liberty, and our religion against the foreign tyrant. Should God in his wrath doom us to destruction and deny us all relief, even then will we maintain ourselves forever against your entrance. When the last hour has come, with our own hands, we will set fire to the city and perish, men, women, and children together in the flames. "'rather than suffer our homes to be polluted and our liberties to be crushed.' Such words of defiance thundered daily from the battlements, sufficiently informed Valdez as to his chance of conquering the city, either by force or fraud, but at the same time he felt comparatively relieved by the inactivity of Boisot's fleet, which still lay stranded at North A. "'As well,' shouted the Spaniards derisively to the citizens, as well can the prince of orange pluck the stars from the sky as bring the ocean to the walls of leyden for your relief on the twenty eighth of september a dove flew into the city bringing a letter from admiral Bwysett. in this dispatch the position of the fleet at north A was described in encouraging terms and the inhabitants were assured that in a very few days at farthest the long expected relief would enter their gates the letter was read publicly upon the market-place, and the bells were rung for joy. Nevertheless, on the morrow, the veins pointed to the east. The waters, so far from rising, continued to sink, and Admiral Boyset was almost in despair. He wrote to the prince that if the spring-tide, now to be expected, should not, together with a strong and favourable wind, come immediately to their relief, it would be in vain to attempt anything further and that the expedition would of necessity be abandoned. The tempest came to their relief. A violent equinoctial gale on the night of the 1st and 2nd of October came storming from the northwest, shifting after a few hours full eight points and then blowing still more violently from the southwest. The waters of the North Sea were piled in vast masses upon the southern coast of Holland and then dashed furiously landward. The ocean rising over the earth and sweeping with unrestrained power across the ruined dikes. In the course of twenty four hours the fleet at North A, instead of nine inches, had more than two feet of water. No time was lost. The Kirkway, which had been broken through, according to the Prince's instructions, was now completely overflowed, and the fleet sailed at midnight in the midst of the storm and darkness a few sentinel vessels of the enemy challenged them as they steadily rowed towards zueterwalde the answer was a flash from boyset's cannon lighting up the black waste of waters there was a fierce midnight battle a strange spectacle among the branches of those quiet orchards and with the chimney-stacks of half-submerged farmhouses rising around the contending vessels the neighbouring village of zueterwalde shook with the discharges of the zeelander's cannon and the spaniards assembled in that fortress knew that the rebel admiral was at last afloat and on his course the enemy's vessels were soon sunk and their crews hurled into the waves on went the fleet sweeping over the broad waters which lay between zutruwalde and zuiten as they approached some shallows which led into the great mare the Zeelanders dashed into the sea and with sheer strength shouldered every vessel through Two obstacles lay still in their path, the forts of Zutrowalda and Lammen, distant from the city five hundred and two hundred and fifty yards respectively. Strong redoubts, both well supplied with troops and artillery, they were likely to give a rough reception to the light flotilla, but the panic, which had hitherto driven their foes before the advancing patriots, had reached Zutrowalda, hardly was the fleet in sight when the spaniards in the early morning poured out from the fortress and fled precipitately to the left along a road which led in a westerly direction toward the hague their narrow path was rapidly vanishing in the waves and hundreds sank beneath the constantly deepening and treacherous flood the wild zealanders too sprang from their vessels upon the crumbling dyke and drove their retreating foes into the sea they hurled their harpoons at them, with an accuracy acquired in many a polar chase. They plunged into the waves in the keen pursuit, attacking them with boat-hook and dagger. The numbers who thus fell beneath these corsairs, who neither gave nor took quarter, were never counted, but probably not less than a thousand perished. The rest effected their escape to the Hague. The first fortress was thus seized, dismantled, set on fire, and passed and a few strokes of the oars brought the whole fleet close to Laman. This last object rose formidable and frowning directly across their path. Swarming as it was with soldiers and bristling with artillery, it seemed to defy the armada, either to carry it by storm or to pass under its guns into the city. It appeared that the enterprise was, after all, to founder within sight of the long-expecting and expected haven. Boisset anchored his fleet within a respectful distance, and spent what remained of the day in carefully reconnoitering the fort, which seemed only too strong. In conjunction with Lederdorp, the headquarters of Valdez, a mile and a half distant on the right, and within a mile of the city, it seemed so insuperable an impediment that Boisset wrote in despondent tone to the Prince of Orange. He announced his intention of carrying the fort, if it were possible, on the following morning, but if obliged to retreat, he observed, with something like despair, that there would be nothing for it but to wait for another gale of wind. If the waters should rise sufficiently to enable them to make a wide detour, it might be possible, if, in the meantime, Leyden did not starve or surrender, to enter its gates from the opposite side. Meantime, the citizens had grown wild with expectation. A dove had been dispatched by Boyset informing them of his precise position, and a number of citizens accompanied the burgomaster at nightfall towards the tower of Hengist. "'Yonder!' cried the burgomaster, stretching out his hand, towards Laman. "'Yonder, behind that fort, are bread and meat, and brethren in thousands. Shall all this be destroyed by the Spanish guns, or shall we rush to the rescue of our friends? "'We will tear the fortress to fragments with our teeth and nails.' was the reply before the relief so long expected shall be wrested from us it was resolved that a sortie in conjunction with the operations of Boyset should be made against laman with the earliest dawn night descended upon the scene a pitch-dark night full of anxiety to the spaniards to the armada to Leyden. strange sights and sounds occurred at different moments to bewilder the anxious sentinels a long procession of lights issuing from the fort was seen to flit across the black face of the waters in the dead of night, and the whole of the city wall between the cow gate and the Tower of Burgundy fell with a loud crash. The horror-struck citizens thought that the Spaniards were upon them at last. The Spaniards imagined the noise to indicate a desperate sortie of the citizens. Everything was vague and mysterious. Day dawned at length after the feverish night, and the admiral prepared for the assault. Within the fortress reigned a death-like stillness, which inspired a sickening suspicion. Had the city indeed been carried in the night? Had the massacre already commenced? Had all this labor and audacity been expended in vain? Suddenly a man was descried, wading, breast-high through the water from lammen toward the fleet, while at the same time one solitary boy was seen to wave his cap, from the summit of the fort. After a moment of doubt, the happy mystery was solved. The Spaniards had fled, panic-struck, during the darkness. Their position would still have enabled them, with firmness, to frustrate the enterprise of the patriots, but the hand of God, which had sent the ocean and the tempest to the deliverance of Leyden, had struck her enemies with terror likewise. The lights which had been seen moving during the night were the lanterns of the retreating Spaniards, and the boy, who was now waving his triumphant signal from the battlements, had alone witnessed the spectacle. So confident was he in the conclusion to which it led him, that he had volunteered at daybreak to go thither all alone. The magistrates, fearing a trap, hesitated for a moment to believe the truth, which soon, however, became quite evident. Valdez, flying himself from Lederdorp, had ordered Colonel Borgia to retire with all his troops from Laman. Thus the Spaniards had retreated at the very moment that an extraordinary accident had laid bare a whole side of the city for their entrance. The noise of the wall, as it fell, only inspired them with fresh alarm, for they believed that the citizens had sallied forth in the darkness to aid the advancing flood and the work of destruction. All obstacles being now removed, the fleet of Boisot swept by Laman and entered the city on the morning of the 3rd of October. Leyden was relieved. The quays were lined with the famishing population as the fleet rode through the canals, every human being who could stand coming forth to greet the preservers of the city. Bread was thrown from every vessel among the crowd. The poor creatures who for two months had tasted no wholesome human food and who had literally been living within the jaws of death snatched eagerly the blessed gift, at last too liberally bestowed many choked themselves to death in the greediness with which they devoured their bread others became ill with the effect of plenty thus suddenly succeeding starvation but these were isolated cases a repetition of which was prevented the admiral stepping ashore was welcomed by the magistracy and a solemn procession was immediately formed magistrates and citizens wild zeelanders emaciated burgher guards sailors soldiers women children nearly every living person within the walls all repaired without delay to the great church stout admiral boissett leading the way the starving and heroic city which had been so firm in its resistance to an earthly king now bent itself in humble gratitude before the king of kings after prayers the whole vast congregation joined in the thanksgiving hymn thousands of voices raised the song but few were able to carry it to its conclusion for the universal emotion deepened by the music became too full for utterance the hymn was abruptly suspended while the multitude wept like children this scene of honest pathos terminated the necessary measures for distributing the food and for relieving the sick were taken by the magistracy a note dispatched to the prince of orange was received by him at two o'clock as he sat in church at delft it was of a somewhat different purport than that of the letter which he had received early in the same day from bwysud the letter in which the admiral had informed him that the success of the enterprise depended after all upon the desperate assault upon a nearly impregnable fort the joy of the prince may be easily imagined and so soon as the sermon was concluded he handed the letter just received to the minister to be read to the congregation thus all participated in his joy and united with him in thanksgiving. End of section 59